welcome to The Renewable Generation, a show on climate and energy issues by young people, for all people. My name is Evan, and today I'm joined as always by my two co-hosts, Stephen and Kelly. And to start us off, I gotta ask, how are we all doing coming up on week 11 of the U.S.'s stay-at-home orders? Well, um, doing all right, doing all right. So so just yesterday, Kelly and I hopped on the phone for an uh, for, uh, impromptu, you know, heart-to-heart about our careers and what are we doing in life and what is going on in COVID and what's the best place to position ourselves, you know, trying to solve these, solve these problems and trying to solve climate change by 2050. So that was, that was pretty great. It was a very in-depth conversation about, about all the trends that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, for the last probably week and a half to two weeks, I've been obsessively thinking about that reading like way too many articles about like what is purpose how do you find your purpose like how our society is designed to make smart people or funnel smart people into things that don't serve their purpose or serve the world and so thinking about how that applies to my own life and what I should be doing I apologize in advance to all my friends who I sent like 20 articles to in the span of like a couple hours last night but I don't think any of them actually read all these articles. But I guess that ties really nicely into this show where um, we're doing our first interview ever on the Renewable Generation with Holly Beale. Well, as Kelly just stated, this is a very special episode, as not only am I joined by Stephen and Kelly, but we are hosting our first ever guest. And I'll turn it over to Kelly to properly introduce our guest, Holly Beale. Cool. Thanks, Evan. I originally met Holly through the outdoor community here in Washington. She is a total badass within the outdoor community between skiing, ski mountaineering, rock climbing, alpine climbing, mountain biking, stand-up paddleboarding, and more that I'm probably forgetting right now. She does everything. And in addition to that, she is a certified badass in the sustainability field. Um, In her day job, she leads the Global Environmental Sustainability Vertical for the Microsoft Data Center Community Development Program, where she built a program that aims to positively impact the long-term environmental health of the communities in Microsoft's global data center footprint. She partners with the communities to inspire, ignite action, and embolden the resolution of top environmental issues. Previously, she was an energy analyst on Microsoft's energy strategy and research team within cloud infrastructure and operations, where she focused on market strategy, renewable energy, and distributed generation. But now, um, she's essentially created her dream job in sustainability, so we're going to be talking to her about how she got to where she is today, Um, what advice she has for people who are looking to advance their careers or break into the field of sustainability. And so we're really excited to talk to her. Oh, and by the way, she was recently recognized last year on the Green Biz 30 Under 30 list for sustainability. So I'll pass it back over to Evan now to kick off the interview. All right, Holly, we're moving on to the hard-hitting questions that the people want to know. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm ready, thanks. First question. It's a simple one. It's It's a softball for you. Just tell us where it all began. <laughs> where did you grow up and uh, how did you first get interested in sustainability? Thanks. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on the show. It's such an honor. I'm grinning ear to ear, so thank you. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, where environmental sustainability was not really a topic that came up much in conversation. The food we got was off of chicken wings and styrofoam and recycling was really few and far between. And I don't know if you could make a room full of people who knew what composting is. But from a young age, that just didn't really feel right to me. It didn't really resonate with me. And um, my mom actually recently sent me some essays I wrote in elementary and middle school about global warming and my plan to add 
add recycling to my high school. And in the meantime, I would take all that recycling home with me on the bus. So I did that for a while and not sure if the recycling ever really got implemented in my high school, but I should check back in on that. <laughs> but that's kind of how, how it began back in Atlanta. Oh, it's cool to hear that you were so passionate at such an early age. So when you grew up and went to college, you chose to major in management and information systems and international business. So after you had all this passion for sustainability, why did you decide to study these things? And is it relevant to the sustainability that you're doing today? Yeah, yeah, good question. Well, well, honestly, I didn't realize that sustainability could be a job. I wanted to just do something in business. Um, seemed like a safe bet and that I could get a job afterwards. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I kind of got lucky in that I was good at MIS and international business. I loved the programming parts of it and the project management, how those go together. It did help me get the job after college, which is always nice. And but. It, it also, in my day-to-day, -day, I'd say that I still do use some of the skills, some of the project management skills that I use and kind of that iterative approaches that, that we use to problem solving. And basically, that's helped me in not taking no for an answer and really incorporating solutions to the objections that I hear and kind of iterating on it till I get to a yes. Uh, I, I love the quote. It's like, after the final no, there is a yes. And on that yes, the world depends. I really like that quote. So I think that, that I brought that from my studies. Hey, uh, Holly, uh, Stephen here. I, something you said made me, made me wonder. So you said, you know, you weren't very aware of sustainability being a business or how to how to make that a, a business. And that's like a question that I still kind of wonder about. Like, what does that mean? Like when I think about business, I think about profits and profit margins and, and cost savings. So like, so how, how does sustainability fit, fit into that world of business if it does? Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely does. What's unfortunate about our current situation and how our governments are failing to act in the ways that they need is that corporations can step in and fill that vacuum. And it is a area that is ripe for innovation. Um, it's fun. It can help with employee retention for employees being able to work on things that they care about and are good for the world. Um, but also, we know that well, our employees demand it, our shareholders increasingly increasingly demand it, other external groups like nonprofit groups are asking corporations increasingly what they're doing uh, to address the, the footprints that they're creating and going beyond their own footprints. Also, we know that the world will not function properly for our businesses to continue if we continue the way in the way that we are. So it's just really a business imperative um, for us to, to maintain a functional, livable world for our businesses. So going back to college, Holly, uh, who were your mentors in college and what advice did they give you that you thought was helpful? And what advice maybe did they give you that you thought was unhelpful? Yeah, so I've... 
worked since I was young and one of my jobs in college was being a TA, a teacher assistant. And I highly recommend doing this if you are in school, uh, in college to be a TA because it was great experience being able to teach a class of students. You have to really know the subject matter in order to teach it, but it also affords you the opportunity to have some really quality time with your professors, which you wouldn't otherwise get. So I was a TA for management information system and I had some amazing mentors in that major professors and the head of the MIS department and I think I've told you this story before Kelly but I had a professor once that gave me some advice that that really stuck with me and well it really changed the trajectory of my career and I was talking to him about whether I wanted to go into sustainability in a nonprofit world or sell my soul to corporations and go work for big business and his advice was to start in business get my feet under me get that experience and then be able to move into what I'm more passionate about and having that experience under me, being able to get into a position where I can have greater influence and have the greater ability to enact change. And so luckily then I was able to find that type of role within that corporation and I didn't have to leave. So that was, I guess, I wouldn't say that's then bad advice then, but uh, it just was part of his advice that I then took in a, in a different way. It was being able to create that path but within, with still staying in the corporate realm. Yeah, I definitely agree about um, the part about being a TA. One of my most rewarding experiences in college as well was being a TA for this class called Energy and Society. Mm. Shout out to Professor Dan Kamen mm-hmm. for being an awesome mentor. <laughs> Although I would say that um, in academia, a lot of professors tend to be very academia focused. So he was constantly saying things like, oh, you should be thinking about grad school, grad school, grad school, grad school. Mm. And I think... Um, it's very important to realize that these professors are people like the 1% of people who went to grad school and end up in a tenured position. And you should also talk to people outside of academia who've been successful in affecting change in their careers, because just talking to professors oftentimes can't give you a full picture of what's possible or even a realistic picture of whether you can get to where they are. So sorry, Dan, I'm still not going to grad school. <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah, and mine's shout out to Dr. Berentes, Aronson, and Boudreaux. <laughs> yeah, shout out. <laughs> shout out. If we're doing shout outs, I would like to shout out <laughs> Ali Javi and Sujay King Lu from uh, e- uh, UC Berkeley Eeks. <laughs> nice. So switching the role here, say you were a professor, what advice would you give to your students? Ooh. Uh, I would say to find something that you're good at and you like doing, even if you don't see exactly right now how it helps in sustainability, because you can apply sustainability to that role or you can use it in a sustainability application. So you don't need to force yourself into a narrow set of majors that you think you need to be in, like say environmental science. If you like that, great do it. But if you aren't good at it or you don't like it, then don't force it. And if you're passionate and you're willing to follow through, then you can help the world with any major. So moving on from college, my research and intel tells me that you started your career as a technical account manager at Microsoft, listening to the advice of your professor to start in the private sector. So how did you translate your passion for sustainability into what you were doing in that role? Yeah, so I 
started as a technical account manager and I was just stoked to be at Microsoft and to be working at this amazing company that I that did not see myself working at and I was just really excited to be there. But I knew that I wanted to start on some sustainability stuff. So I started locally in just my office. Uh, I worked with the facilities management there to remove those free unlimited disposable water bottles that we were provided and I volunteered to write our monthly newsletter and I always included a sustainability story in it. I also started talking to facilities about getting rid of paper towels and disposable mugs and they were like, whoa, 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 okay, calm down. Because granted, I'm a bit extreme uh, on the personal side, like like the paper towels. I haven't used a paper towel in probably like four years. It, it's not if, if, if that's all they have, I just wipe my hands on my pants and, you know, I don't buy anything new. I don't have a car, so I ride my bike or bus or carpool. I don't purchase animal products, but I know that that is a bit extreme. Um, and some may say this doesn't do much in the grand scheme. But if you start bringing some of those elements into what you do, it kind of gives you that brand. And... You can celebrate the small wins and keep that momentum going and it just feels good and gives you motivation to get some wins in. Um, plus for me, I just can't see that stuff happening and not do anything about it. That's just, just that's just me. I just can't not. So starting as a TAM, uh, it wasn't in sustainability, but I just kind of started off some things in, in the office just to get my momentum going. Yeah, it sounds like that individual action didn't go unnoticed within Microsoft because you made the switch from technical account manager to working on the energy strategy and research team. So tell me how that happened. Yeah, it was actually part of learning about sustainability efforts at Microsoft. I had spoken with the director of energy strategy. And then a few months later, he emailed me saying that they had a new role opening on the team and asking if I'd be interested in applying. So I said, absolutely. And then I had a few months, a few months long interview process, I guess you'd say, with planning uh, this renewable energy summit. And I guess I did well because then I got that job. So I asked him later what made him call me back? Of all the people that reach out to him to talk, why did he reach back out to me? And he said, and he's way more eloquent than I am, and he's just incredibly brilliant, but he was really saying that he saw my passion, but beyond passion, my willingness to follow through and to really take what I'm good at and apply it and not give up and follow through on, on my commitment. So uh, and then he called me back, and then I started on the... On the energy team, which was rad. So once you got situated in that role, what kind of work did you do as an energy analyst? The energy analyst role, it was a brand new one on the team. So I got some experience with ambiguity and creating a new role. So I worked on market strategies. So I was analyzing different rate structures with our utilities. And I, I worked with our renewable energy uh, team to, on renewables procurement and I worked with our distributed generation team on energy at the data center. So it's looking at backup generation and batteries and fuel cells and things like that. So my research in Intel tells me that after two years as an analyst, you still wanted to go deeper. So you created your own dream job of program manager for data center environmental sustainability. 
So how are you able to create your own dream job within a massive company like Microsoft? And what kind of work do you do as a program manager for data center environmental sustainability? <laughs> yeah, I worked with a person who is already on the data center community development team to kind of sanity check uh, my business case. But I made a business case around incorporating an environmental sustainability program into our community development team and pitched it to the GM on why that role should exist and why I should be the one to do it. And luckily he had already seen some of that sustainability stuff I had done. So he was confident in my tenacity, as he said. So we went for it. And so now I lead the global and community environmental sustainability program for a data center community development team. So basically where we have data centers around the world that host our cloud services that are the main source of electricity usage for, for Microsoft and data centers are one of the biggest electricity users in the world. Uh, but in those communities as well, uh, we want to be a positive presence in those communities. We want to build positive relationships uh, and we want the community to be better because we're there. And so we do that on economic fronts and social and now environmental, uh, which is my program. That's, that's so cool, Holly. Um, Stephen chiming in here. Um, I'm really curious, you know, to, if you could expand on what it, what it actually looked like when you started to carve out that role, like um, maybe like, you know, the first couple of weeks of that versus the first next couple of months. And like from what you say about like the data centers, it sounds like there, there was a, a, a clear business case in that data centers consume massive amounts of energy and can really, you can really like be strategic about how do you use, how and when you use that load or rather service that load with renewables and, and other energy sources. So like kind of kind of curious if you could expand a little bit on on that aspect of it. Yeah, so we do have a data center sustainability team that looks at how we uh, how we look at the operations of our data center to be more sustainable. So looking at energy efficiency and using less water, looking at waste, looking at land use. But then we also want to go beyond our operations and into the community. And so that's what my role is, is everything outside the four walls of the data center in those communities. Um, and for that, I mean, we need to be able to have the case in the community of how us being there benefits the community and not just in terms of minimizing the impacts of our operations, but actually giving back to where the community needs it in terms of what their sustainability goals are and what their sustainability focus areas are. And that's different around the world. I mean, what the sustainability efforts that you need in San Antonio are different than in Cheyenne, are different than in Amsterdam. You know, it's it's super varied around the world. So we have to first listen to what they need and then see where where we can um, where we can contribute. Awesome. And and so when you say like sustainability um, in the community, can can you give like tangible examples of like what is that you know, to, to a layperson, like what, what does that actually look like in that community? Yeah. Yeah. That's super broad. I mean, that's the problem with the word sustainability around now. It's just a super broad topic, but it really is what resonates in the community. So for example, in Virginia, uh, we are purchasing a lot of renewable energy in Virginia. Microsoft is, we're really growing our presence there for uh, for our data center footprint, but then also correspondingly the solar 
farms that we are procuring the renewable energy from. And so in addition to that, though, what we can do in the community is being able to hire locally into the renewable energy space. So we've supported a program there. We we are just renewing uh, our partnership with them too, with this, this organization with a program called SHINE. It's a Solar Hands-On Instructional Network of Excellence, but it's training cohorts of students to be able to work in the renewable energy space. So it's increasing employment opportunities, equity as a diverse and inclusion component to it and sustainability as we'll have more folks working in in the renewable space so that's one 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 uh example another quick example is everybody loves a good tree planting <laughs> we have um but we try to go beyond just singular events we try to have programs and communities where we look at ec tree equity in in our different locations so oftentimes if you look at and this is uh, work with American Forests has made this comparison that if you look at a map of equity in, in a neighborhood and you look at a map of tree coverage, I mean, sorry, a map of income and a map of tree coverage, they're pretty much the same map. So the places that have the, the, the most uh, money also have the most trees and then the areas that already are economically disadvantaged also don't have these life-saving trees. And so um, we try to think strategically about where we can put those trees and how that can also be tied up with employment and then and then good old fashioned everybody coming out coming out and planting is those are some examples that's awesome thank thank you so much for sharing yeah um those projects all sound really cool so um so you created this position within microsoft are there similar positions um within other companies that are doing similar work as you you know, um, not that I'm really aware of, and I would like there to be because it would be great to be able to collaborate with with other data center groups on on different community efforts. Right now, we really just work with with other companies and organizations in the community, but not really our data center uh, counterparts as of yet, but if you're listening and you're part of a center team or you're at that company and that position doesn't exist, then maybe that's something to think about, an opportunity, and then we could uh, work together on stuff. So in spite of your job title being Program Manager for Data Center Environmental Sustainability, you've said many times that you don't actually have to have sustainability in your job title to work on sustainability. So within Microsoft, what are some examples that you've seen of people bringing a sustainability lens into their work, even if that isn't the explicit focus of their job. Yeah, yeah. We have people in all parts of the company that don't have sustainability in their title, but are working on a sustainability a lot. I mean, in devices, we're doing like doing things like their carbon neutral Xbox, or if you work in marketing, you could create collateral for our sustainability community. Uh, maybe if you're in sales, you can talk to your customers about selling sustainability solutions to them. We have an employee engagement group at Microsoft that um, my dear friend Drew and I started about two years ago and started pulling people together. And now we have over 2,600 members in almost 20 chapters around the world. And it's entirely volunteer led. And we have 40 lead roles of people who are just knocking it out the park in terms of positive impact for sustainability. And almost none of them have sustainability in their title. I would 
recommend this article that I loved. It's called Loving a Vanishing World. It's really sad. It might make you cry. It made me cry a few times, but the author talks about folks who are contributing in ways like donating massages to other volunteers in environmental campaigns because that's what they're good at. So that gave some really good examples of, of how we can contribute in, in a variety of ways. Oh, well, we got a book recommendation out of you. Yeah. Oh, well, that's just an article. Oh, it's an article. <laughs> but I got plenty of book recommendations if you want that. <laughs> oh, well, we'll have to include a book recommendation portion later in the show. Okay. So uh, going back to the advice that you would give uh, just to any student, now let's narrow it into students that want to work in the field of sustainability. What advice would you give to students like that? Um, well, I guess here's where the book recommendation comes in. There's a book called Making Good. Find, it's called Making Good, Finding Meaning, Money, and Community in a Changing World. And that book really impacted me. Um, thanks, Liz Wilmot, for suggesting it back in the day. But it has real-life success stories and practical advice and exercises that you can do to figure out what your strengths are, how you could best contribute, and also figuring out your network and where there are gaps in your network uh, and some practical exercises to help you fill that in. I would also say if you're in early stages of your career and, and want to work in the field, like don't wait. I mean, I hope that some of the stuff that I've talked about has given you a few ideas, um, but don't wait. Find other people that are also looking to make change and start start doing stuff. You don't you don't need to be in that role. And and I mean, sometimes you can get be told no. But that's okay too, and it just, it just if if nothing else, it feels good and gets you motivated to keep going. When when you find others that are, are have similar passions as you and want to work with you, it, it's just it, it's just absolutely invigorating. So that's what I would say. Go for it. <laughs> so it wouldn't be a conversation in 2020 if we didn't somehow relate it back to the pandemic that's going on right now. So in this dramatic and unprecedented time, looking at the macro and micro trends around you, what kind of future do you see for climate and clean tech? And how are you thinking about riding those waves? So thankfully, uh, I've seen a lot of conversations about the parallels between dealing with COVID and what we'll need to do to deal with the effects of climate change and how this is really just the tip of the iceberg for the changes that we're going to see and what we'll have to face for that changing future unless we dramatically change our course. So I'm glad that that focus is not being lost and I'm actually somewhat hopeful for what this could mean uh, for climate tech. And I've also seen lots of talk about the push that this is having towards a more plant-based proteins over animal-based proteins, which is huge. Um, I, I was reading an article earlier uh, in the New York Times it's called The End of Meat is Here, uh, but I thought it had a good quote. It said... Um, and due to some technical difficulties, I'll be presenting a dramatic reading of this quote. Our hand has been reaching for the doorknob over the last few years, referring to the increase in consuming plant-based proteins. COVID-19 has kicked open that door. Real, real quick, sorry, the audio kind of was, was rough there, but we, we like to end this, this show with this segment called the Green New Spiel. Um, 
And it's kind of like a final, like, you know, one for the road fact that you might have known and like can impart with our audience. So like maybe a news story or some, some victory in your community that you heard about or, you know, anything like that. And I know we're kind of putting you on the spot here, but wondering if you could uh, provide a green new spiel that we can splice in to, to the, to the podcast at a later time. Um, oh man, maybe referencing back to the, 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 the New York times article the called the end of need is here. And just hearing about the, the wave that's happening, uh, with our, our shortages in that industry, but the positive that it's, that it's leading from, and, um, just seeing the, the stock prices go up of our of beyond meat and different, um, alternatives there is exciting. So I'm definitely going to be watching that, uh, unfold. Stephen and Kelly, do you... Oh, yeah, we're going to wait on the Green News Spiels, right? Are we? Oh, I mean, I I just found one that I sent to you. Oh, Kelly, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, in our last episode, we were talking about the impact of COVID on climate. And in the first episode, we talked about the impact of individual actions. And we said um, some of the projections show that um, throughout the, all of 2020, the impact of COVID on carbon emissions will be like minus 7%, which is not nearly enough. However, um, there's a new paper out in Nature saying that the um, daily global fossil uh, carbon dioxide emissions decreased by 17% from uh, with a range of 11 to 25% um, in April 2020 compared to 2019. So the impact of individual actions can be up to 25% on reducing emissions. That obviously means that we still need to work on the um, systemic factors like decarbonizing electricity, um, decarbonizing um, transport, but individual actions can ha- make a big difference, particularly when you look at um, in 2050, if we're going to be reducing our emissions by 80% by then, then things that we can control like driving and flying will be a much bigger share of that 20%. And so um, basically, this is just kind of saying that your individual actions do make a difference, um, especially when it's added all together. Right on. Um, Evan, do you want to introduce my bit? Oh, are you, do you have a green new spiel too? Yeah, I could, I, could, I could throw one in there. You got one? All right. And now we're moving on to Steven for his green new spiel. Yeah, um, well, my green new spiel this, this week is um, regarding the divestment from fossil fuels movement. Um, a major win was, was secured just recently where the entire University of California system, University of California being the largest um, university system in the United States, they announced just this past Tuesday that it had fully divested from all fossil fuels, which is a huge watershed victory in my opinion. Um, the UC... Um, Pension and, and investment portfolio is worth over one hundred twenty six billion dollars, and that is you know no no small chunk of change. Um, so th- this has been a movement that's been going for about two to three years now, and really really kind of began in UC Santa Barbara, um, but definitely has been a, a UC wide a UC system wide movement. So you know I'm I'm very proud to 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 say this as a UC system. Um, Alumni, uh, go go Bears! <laughs> um, oh, yeah. the, I'm very very happy to hear that this is like it's both a great investment societally in the future as well as a great investment um, financially to to be betting on on clean energy and 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 stop gambling on fossil fuels. Yeah, and one comment I would make is that actually this campaign has been going on for at least six years since at least 2014. So that's before I even started um, at Berkeley. And the people who started the campaign now are working all over the world in um, advocating for um, environmental change 
in their careers. So it's really cool to see that it's finally happened at the UC level. Go Bears. Go Bears. <laughs> Go Bears. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up the Green News Spiel, and we're going to wrap up the show. Thank you so much, Holly, for being our first guest on The Renewable Generation. We couldn't have asked for a better starting point. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well, thank you so much for having me, and thanks for what you guys are doing and making the podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, As always, we're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Feel free to leave us a review on either if you're feeling kind or if you have some uh, constructive criticisms that you want us to hear. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 